This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. What's going on, everybody? It's your host, Will, coming back for a new episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. On this week's episode, we have a good friend of mine, Mr. Heath Graham, coming on here. Now, Heath and I go back, did some work in the industry prior to my time before Hunt Stand, and we're going to be talking about some late-season, post-season strategies. You know, Heath hunts in Arkansas. He's a big fan of the Razorbacks. Gig him, because I'm an Aggie. And uh, so we're going to pick his brain on just how he likes to attack the end of his deer season and what he starts to do in preparation for the next fall. We're getting into that time of year where you got to start thinking about fall 2024 and uh, deer season might still be going on in your area by the time you're listening to this. And so this is some good stuff to be listening to and just really finding out how somebody like Heath just approaches this time of year and getting ready for 2024. So again, y'all, if you haven't yet, make sure you rate, review the Hunt Stand podcast. We really appreciate that. It helps us out greatly. And make sure you have the Hunt Stand app downloaded. It's the number one hunting and land management app. We got free, we got pro, and then we have the Pro Whitetail tier if you want to unlock all the features of Hunt Stand. Upgrade to Pro Whitetail today. I'm going to quit talking and let's get right to it with Mr. Heath Graham. Well, Heath, welcome to the Hunt Stand Podcast. I appreciate you taking the time today to sit down with me and talk deer hunting. Absolutely, Will. It's a pleasure to be on here. I feel like you're like one of my best friends I never get to hang with. That's what I feel like. <laughs> I know. I've known you for a while, but we never get to hang. <laughs> I know. We always talk about going bass fishing together or doing something, and we just never do it. I know, man. We need to make that happen for hey, sure. I'm down. Spring, let me know, man, or even turkey hunt coming up in the spring. I'm yeah. down. Absolutely. It'd be fun. Heck do yeah. both. That's a, that's a good time to do both. A little cast and blast. Yeah. Let's make it awesome, happen. Let's make it happen, dude. I, I think, uh, yeah. see a video coming in the near future. I agree, man. It'd be awesome. It'd be a lot of fun. Well, dude, what I like to do to get the podcast started, uh, for our listeners out there, I like for them to get to know the guests before we dive into our topic. And I have this little thing that I call 30 foot tree stand view. You know, it's kind of like that 30,000 foot view of yourself and just kind of Give the listeners little a uh, little insight on Mr. Heath. Yeah, um, so I feel like the old man. I've, I've been around the industry now, I guess, nineteen years or so, mm-hmm. somewhere around 07, somewhere in that ballpark. We kind of got started uh, producing outdoor television, honestly as a joke, just having fun, me and some buddies. And um, but we were super passionate about hunting, obviously, as most listeners on this podcast probably are. Um, but I fell in love with the creative aspect of what we were doing as well. Yeah. Um, early, early on when it came to hunting, I, I found myself liking that creative part process and behind the camera, honestly, almost as much, almost as much as squeezing the trigger or letting an arrow fly. Yeah. Know? And so, um, that, that passion for, for both of those two things 
literally is what has led us to where, at least where I'm at today and our team today, it's, it's literally the, 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 the financial side and the, and the career side of it is a byproduct of the passion, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, we did this stuff for free long before we ever made a dime doing anything in this space, you know? And so, um, over the years of, of, of doing a little bit of outdoor television and producing content that led us to, that's the, this is a quick version, led us to where we're at today, um, running an agency and, and producing outdoor television, a lot of content for a lot of major brands in the outdoor space. Yeah. Um, but it all started with just, just a hunger and a desire to, to create, to create quality content, you know, and, and serve people. Really. That's all we do is we serve clients, serve people and try to try to help them be successful, you know? And so, well, that's it. Tell me, tell us a little bit about your agency, man. Tell us the name and what all y'all do and some of the companies y'all get to work with. Yeah. So we, we, we rebranded in January um, of this year. So I've got two partners, Joe, sir, who had an incredible company called risen media. My previous company was South face media. We've both been in the industry for a long time. Um, and then we have another partner, Mark Heck, who we work with at expedition enterprises and, and um, we've got a family of brands underneath that umbrella. But Joe and I have known each other for a long time. We, we joke about uh, people you like to work with and do life with. And, and Joe and I are kind of, we hit it off at, at that level, you know. Yeah. Um, Joe's just a guy that is super credible, ton of integrity. Um, and and I, I try to model my life that way as well. Hopefully, I've never heard anything, have anything negative to say about it. But, <laughs> but who knows? I'm sure been along, around long enough, you probably take somebody off. But, yeah. Um, we try to literally um, approach our business from a, a, a servant-hearted standpoint. We genuinely want to help people, and, and if we can't, we won't even take the business on if we don't feel like we can help them. And so um, we, 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 we rebranded um, and brought both of those companies together in January um, under the umbrella called Chess Fight. And so the whole idea behind that name was it's kind of a funny story. Joe was headed back from Colorado and like we do a lot of marketing work for a living, obviously. Yeah. And we could not come up with a name for nothing. We were like, God, we are this is terrible. Like we get paid to do this stuff and we can't even come up with a name for ourselves. And so Joe's, Joe's on a shoot in Colorado, I believe with Winnebago and he's coming off the mountain and uh, he had very sketchy service and he called me and goes, dude, I think I got it. Him and, him and John, his buddy was on the way down. He goes, I think I got it. Just hear me out on this. And I was like, all right, man. And, uh, he goes, I'm thinking of this like a, like a cage fight. He said, but I'm also thinking along the lines of like a chess match. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? And uh, he goes, just go with me for a minute. He said, everything we do takes strategy and it takes a strong team to pull it off. And I was like, I was like, yeah. And I said, so what is it? Spit it out. And he was like, chess fight. And, and I was like, huh? And then his phone lost service. I could hear him, but he couldn't hear me. And all I could hear was, Oh God, they hate it. They hate it. They hate it, John. They hate it. And I was, of course, I'm dying laughing in the background. And because uh, he literally lost service and I heard everything he was saying. But that was the idea. That's kind of that's kind of the idea behind the brand because everybody that we do work with, uh, they obviously need help from a creative and marketing standpoint. But it, it no matter how good you are at creating content, if there's not a strategy behind it and a strong team to help fulfill that, when you're working with a lot of clients, if you're just working with a few people, you can be a one or two man show. But when you're working with companies all over the country, um, you've got to have a team to be able to pull that off. And yeah. so that was kind of the, that was kind of the idea behind the name. We wanted something different that wasn't specifically tied to just something hunting, because we do work with several clients outdoor the, outside the outdoor space. And so that's kind of where the the, the brand came from as far as far as the thought process goes. And uh, we get to work with a lot of a lot of people, man. We have a lot of our own brands, 
that we work with. Uh, we get to work with brands like Kuyu and Matthews and Winnebago. We got we got guys literally all over the country right now. Some just got back from Oregon. I'm on a Winnebago shoot. We're headed to Colorado tomorrow to work with Sig Sauer. Um, we do a lot of stuff with Sig. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. Some pretty big hitters that we've been very, very fortunate and blessed to get to work with, man. But I laugh all the time because people are like, how in the world do you get in with those guys and get to work with them? I'm mm -hmm. like, dude, I don't know. I'm like, we just love what we do. Like, we literally love, we love sharing camp with people. We love creating content. And we, we try to do it at a, at a high premium level, you know, and, and for whatever reason, that's attractive to some people, I guess. And so um, we, we really, really are fortunate to get to do what we do, man. And I feel like you're in the same boat to get yeah. to live in this space. I, I had to pick up a spare tire today because we're headed to Colorado and uh, for a trailer. And I was, I was getting a little nervous because I've, I've been to Illinois and Ohio this year pulling this trailer. And all I had in my, you'll appreciate this, in my back of my pickup was my bass boat spare. <laughs> And I was like, man, I, I don't even know if that thing fits right. They say it's five lugs, but there's different there's different measurements for five lugs. I do know. You're flirting so with danger there. I was like, I ain't going to Colorado like that, man. So I pulled up, and this guy, I know the guy at the tire shop, and he was like, where are you headed now? And I said, oh, we're headed to Colorado. He goes, man, it must be nice. I guess you get tired of that, don't you? And I was like, man, I feel blessed every day to, to get to do what we do and spend time in this space with great people. You know, I really do. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm right there with you, man. I feel the same way. And it's like, sometimes I almost hate telling people what I do for a living, you know? <clears throat> I know. Yeah. It's yeah. like a blessing and a curse, even, even within the family life, you know, my wife, she's like, I know you got to go work, but you know, you're going to have fun. <laughs> I'm, nope. like, I'm like, we really are, man. <clears throat> like we have an absolute blast everywhere we go. It doesn't mean we don't work hard. We put in the time yeah. and there's a lot of a lot of effort and toting gear up mountains and oh, yeah. you know the deal it, it's a oh yeah there's a lot of effort that goes into it and a lot of planning and organizing and then and then when you when you get done with the shoot the work's just really started like yeah. that's where the rest of the work takes place you know that's the truth and so but there's i can't complain i thank the good lord every day man i genuinely do every time i climb a tree i'm like man thank you lord for for letting me live this life you know because i wouldn't trade it for anything yeah i I do the same thing, man. I really do. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny when, when people ask me that I haven't maybe haven't met before, they're like, what do you, so what do you do for a living? You, you work for a mobile hunting app? I'm like, yeah, you know, work, do some marketing. And my wife just looks at me and she goes, shut up. Just tell people you get paid to hunt for a living. <laughs> I, I think there's a misconception there. Cause I've had that it is. a lot of people comment. Like they think that's really all we do. I know. And, uh, it's probably that is part of it, but it's probably the farthest thing from the truth. There's a lot of time that's <laughs> not hunting season spent, spent grinding, man. I would say that's probably ten percent of our time. Yeah, ten, 10 yeah, percent of our yeah. time. So, be well, that's man, cool. uh, today's episode. You know, the time we're recording this is Thanksgiving, but you know we're going to be talking to those folks out there that it's the end of the season. Either their seasons are done. We might have a week, maybe a two left of the season. And they might still be trying to bag that tag or, you know, fill that tag. And then we're starting to look at next season, right? Like just because the season's over doesn't mean the work is over until you right. know next September. There's lots of work in between. And, and part of that is some of the scouting that we can do postseason, wintertime scouting. So, but before we get into that scouting aspect, I want to talk to you about what do you like the most about late season? You know, there's, there's some really good things about it versus the rut, you know, food are going to, deer are going to be on a food pattern. 
you're going to be able to get on a bigger buck potentially if he made it through versus say the rut. So let's talk yeah. about your one to two weeks out, right? You still got that tag yeah. that's burning a hole in your pocket and you've seen a couple of shooters. What's he doing yeah. on his place? Yeah. So there's, there's a few things I like about the late season. One is um, there's less pressure um, on, on the deer, depending on where you're hunting. So I'm in Arkansas. Um, I mean, we're in the middle of this time. There's, there's a lot of orange out there. Oh yeah. I mean, 300, 300 something thousand guys out there toting rifles around for, it feels like three months, <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> we're still out there with a stick and string. Yeah. But, um, but I will say you're, the, the average Joe is not, is not still putting in time. Like, I mean, that's a small percentage of people that are still grinding and out there like, like, like we would, like, I actually love it to be honest with you. Um, still, still kind of grinding, trying to, to, and I'm, so in Arkansas where I'm at, I hunt the Ozark mountains here and it's, it's pretty, it's not the easiest hunting and it's challenging. I love it, but there's literally millions of acres of cover, mm-hmm. um, a forest full of acorns for whatever reason this year, we have a ton of acorns here. I mean, they're, I was hunting yesterday and they're still just falling out of the trees. And so, um, it's, it's, a it's a, it's a challenging, it's, a, I love it though, because it's, it's my home base. And so I'm in it for the long haul here. I'm not in a hurry to get something shot. I've literally got five months basically to hunt. Um, that's, it's a different approach a little bit for me if I'm depending on where I'm at, if I'm in the Midwest, um, I almost, it's not cheating going to the Midwest, but sometimes I feel like it is after yeah. hunting here so hard because it's just a little easier terrain to navigate where deer are going to be mm-hmm. if you got crops on both sides of you know big funnel of big creek system flowing through the middle of a property you can figure them out pretty quick you know in comparison to where i'm at here where there's just millions of acres i mean they can be a lot of places they bed everywhere like yeah. where's the bedding area walk through the woods it's everywhere you find them where they lay everywhere um and so um, but that doesn't mean you can't have success late season too. Um, we, we kill quite a few deer late season. Obviously everybody's going to re- refer to feeding patterns and where they're going to be. Um, but at least where I'm at, and that's where I do most of my late season hunting is here. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to obviously find food source and, and a lot of the deer activity is going to be nocturnal for me. It's, it's your big buck activity. They're wore out. They're tired. Um, at least here they, they've been, there's been a hunter on every corner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so a lot of their feeding is going to be at night. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't get in between and find travel corridors for, for me, there's, and I, I might be a little bit different because of, you said that 10% number, my number is probably higher than that. I spent a lot of time. 20. Okay. <laughs> 20. I, could, I, 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 I couldn't do it without a, without a great team, but I do spend a lot of time in the tree. Um, therefore I have to make it up with work at, at night or midday or whatever, if we're not doing all day sits, but um there's 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 nothing better than being in the woods and figuring out what's going on i mean you can go find sign but but it doesn't mean it doesn't change throughout the year and there's nothing that can replace being in the woods and watching deer day in and day out Mm -hmm. in a certain area like if like if you on my farm typically I, I, i hadn't done this on purpose but it seems like every year i find myself focusing on an area of the farm and kind of trying because I own the farm. So I've got time every year to, to spend a lot of time in a certain section of that, that in a certain area of that farm and figure out what deer are doing there. Um, this year on the Southeast corner of my farm, it's got, it's got, it's mountainous terrain. I've got a big valley with, with fields in the middle, but it's mountainous terrain. And I have not hunted it a whole lot, even though I know deer are going up this draw every year in bed and somewhere up in the, these pines or acorn flats out in the middle of the side of this mountain. Yeah. And this year I've spent a lot of time. I didn't go in there until the pressure was right. My thermals were right. 
because it's mountainous terrain and bow hunting mountain everybody knows the wind is never i don't care what the wind direction says it is i've had every wind direction you can have every hunt i've been in literally but i'll tell you i've i've done i've done two different things this year in that area um because it's mountain mountains trying know the wind's going to swirl I, I take my wind checkers and all that i'm always watching the wind but as long as my pressure's right and my thermal's right that, i don't even check the wind direction going in there anymore i've been in there probably 15 sits this year um i've had i've had north south east west and everything in between every Jeez. single hunt but i've not been blown at one time in there this year not once really and the reason is, is because I only go in there when the pressure's right and the thermals are rising. And so I can get away with murder in there because if you, if you do this while you're in the woods, you just keep checking that, checking your scent. As long as it's going up, I ain't been busted in there one time. Now you got to keep an eye on it because I've been, I've been having to get down probably by 11, 1130, depending on pressure. And when the, when your scent starts falling, get out of there, you're going to jack it up. Mm-hmm. But I've had a lot of luck in there, man. The, the, I've got one target buck on my place this year that, that, I'm, that I'm, I'm trying to get knocked down. I've seen him twice, and I've, I've got three years of pictures of him, and I've never had a daylight picture of this deer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been, I've been on him for a while, and I've seen him twice this year in this spot that I was in that I didn't touch until I guess I went in just before Halloween and started hunting in there. And, uh, for, and I, I knew we had to have a lot of acreage this year because, because my fields where I've got plots and stuff, the, the deer activity has been very, very little in, in comparison to the last probably four years. Like typically I have a lot of action in the fields in the evenings. It's almost hard to get into some of my spots in the mornings because of the fields are full of deer. Um, but this year I've just noticed after a few observation sits that I've just not having on my farm, I, I'll average 10, 15 deer a day seeing in the fields in the evenings. And I wasn't seeing but four or five probably on average, which is not normal on my farm. And so I was like, you know what? I've got to get in the woods. That's where they're at because mm-hmm. there's a ton of acres this year. So I got into this spot I'm telling you about that's in a draw going up the edge of this mountain up to some ridges. And I've got, it's, it's got pines on one side and acorns on acorn flats on the other side. Um, but I got up in there the first sit. I can't see but probably 50 yards in this area. First morning I sit in there, I saw 31. Second one, I saw 44 and my target bucks in, in an area that I can't see 50 yards. And so the, the pressure was right, thermals were right, and I had deer all around me on every wind and never, none of them ever checked up. Um, I'm, I'm not a, I use some spray and things like that. I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a bigger fan of hunting the wind. <laughs> I've been busted plenty of times using every spray and ozonics and everything you can use. Not oh, yeah. against any of that, but, um, that has been a learning curve for me this year, figuring that, that area out. And that, that, I mean, that, that's, you know, that you can apply that to a lot of different places across the country. If you've got an area that's got a lot of swirling winds, mm-hmm. um, just make sure your, your sense rising and your thermals are right. And there's a, it's, it's pretty high pressure. You know, if it's between, I don't know, 29 to, to 30.3, somewhere in there, if you check your pressure, um, you're most of the time you're going to get in the stand, you check your, check your scent and it's going to be going up. Heck yeah. And so, and so that's that's what's been good for me this year, mm-hmm. um, as far as as far as leading up to now. Now I'll, I'll be in Colorado next week, and when I get back, I'll be diving off into some of this later season um, hunting and tactics. I know for me, in, if I'm hunting in the timber late season, uh, I'm not scared to move sets. Um, I'm not. I hadn't I hadn't got in the saddle game yet. I'm getting closer. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to determine if I'm young enough to still do that. But, oh, heck, but man, it, you can get up there. 
<laughs> I know it's easier than moving sets every time, but um, I, I will be early season. I'm going to, I'm not, I, I'll get probably 22 foot up somewhere in that ballpark most mm-hmm. of the time. And so I don't get busted a lot unless I do something stupid and make a move. I shouldn't. Um, I can get away with a lot, but late season, man, after these deer have been pressured all year, I will sometimes move a set and get, get in a better tree that's got more cover. Really? Just because they're, well, just because they're, at least where I'm at, man, they're, they're on edge. They're walking through the, they're just on edge, you know, like every little, every little movement's like they're, like, where's he at type deal. And I almost, not that they walk around looking up, but I just know late season, uh, they're just a little bit jumpier. Yeah. And, and there's a lot that plays into that, even with, with arrow placement and shots. If you're shooting something 40 yards or, 45 yards i don't typically like to shoot that far with a bow um i have but you know they're going to drop substantially oh yeah late season in compare i mean they'll drop anyway but for sure late season those deer may drop 12 16 inches on a 40 yard shot and we, mm-hmm. we've done it we've played it back you probably have too on camera frame by frame of where the arrow was flying and how they will duck an arrow oh and yeah so i like to like i like to aim a little lower late season especially if it's out there between you know 25 35 yards just uh that lower third you're still gonna most likely get them you know yeah so i don't know that's kind of that's kind of my my approach late season is is there's nothing better than being in the in in the, in the field and figuring out what the deer are doing i mean i base obviously we all scout and look at sign mm-hmm. but but like like this area i've got i've got coming off this this draw that i'm hunting that i'm this one i've been referencing i've been kind of been targeting this area this year there's probably six hardcore trails coming down through this area that all kind of go to a certain place on the farm and um but late season will they be doing that i don't know if they're not i'll find out when i get in there and spend three or four days in there you know and i, and I may be a little bit different because i know everybody doesn't have the time to be able to do that so if you're a weekend warrior it's a little bit more challenging you, you got to maybe get a little riskier. I'm, I'm in it for the long haul on my farm because I know I've got time. I've yeah. literally got from the end of September to, to mid-February. Here's how long our season goes. Wow. And so wow. so we've got a lot of time to try to figure them out. And 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 I'm okay with it if I don't if I don't get my target buck, you know. I'm okay with it. I, don't, I hope he don't get shot, but he, there's a very good chance he will. That happened last year. I had a deer I'd been on three years had literally hundreds maybe thousands of pictures of this deer and my neighbor sent me a picture and said do you know this deer and i was like you're dang right i know that deer <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a young girl shot it early season so it is what it is you know it's part of it and it, it's okay i'm happy for her mm-hmm. you know but um i'm in it for the long haul here and so those are just a few things i do man watch that pressure uh if your thermals are right early and it's and that your heat's rising you know you can get away with a lot in places you never thought you could get away with it until it starts falling but you got to keep an eye on like like i don't want to blow up a spot especially on on edgy deer if 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 i stay up there till three o'clock in the afternoon and my scent's going straight down swirling you're gonna jack it up a big buck ain't gonna play that game get out you know he may he may jump three properties over and not be interested in coming back and so i don't know that but it could mm-hmm. um and so um that's probably the my biggest tactic is watching pressure watching thermals and and but just because of what i mentioned you can get away with a lot more than people realize now when it but when it get, when, when it shifts and your scent starts falling get out of the tree Absolutely. you know if you're in an area with swirling winds get out of the tree because you're going to do more damage than good you know, I want I want to pick your brain with all these acorns that you have that have fallen in these deer not funneling out in the fields. 
like you're used to seeing right now. Are you at all worried that that's going to affect those deer come late season? Or do you think any other acorns that are left on the ground are going to rot by that time and they're going to come into your fields that you have? No, I, I, it doesn't worry me. I mean, I think they're going to stay in there as long as they've got good acorns to eat. Yeah. They're going to stay in and I'm going to stay in there with them <laughs> as, as long as they're, I mean, I don't know. That's what I mean. When you're in the field, it will tell you, the deer will tell you what's going on oh, yeah. if you have time. Obviously, if you have time to be in there with them. Um, I, I like to call it up. I, I mean, I literally like to think I live with them during this time of year, you know, because I'm out there a lot. Like every morning that alarm's going off at 4 o'clock, 4.15 and and i'm i'm getting up and heading out and so um there's nothing better it's like on the job training there's no you can read every article and blog you want and and every listen to every podcast you want but there's nothing that replaces time in the field and learning no. what your deer do in your area and it's, it may be different where you're at mm-hmm. in texas is where i'm at or in the midwest this you know late season we do know this late season everywhere deer are going to eat at some point oh yeah they're going to they're, they're going to find food they're going to find water and so if you can cut them off if you know, but you'll also figure out by game cameras and and being out there in the field, if they're if you're not seeing a lot of activity during the day where you're hunting, they probably are. I mean, they're moving somewhere, you know. And I'm gonna assume by based on where I'm hunting, that a lot of times they're gonna be in thick cover where they feel safe. They're not too worried, uh, more so than out in the wide open field, at least in Arkansas. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm speaking to that more from an Arkansas standpoint. Texas is a total different. Y'all are y'all's own country down there is what I used to like to say. It's, yeah. it's just different. Man, <laughs> you I ain't lying. Every year. I, I will be down there late season for the record. <laughs> well, maybe but, we can actually hang out when you come down here then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Texas, man. But it yeah. is definitely different than, than, than where I've grown up on, you know. And I would say it's different than the Midwest where we spend a lot of time as well. Um, but we do know that, that they're like people. They're going to eat, man. And, and you got to figure out where they're eating and how you can either get to where they're eating in daylight hours or cut them off and find some travel corridors that are leading to that food source. And that's typically what I try to do late season is yeah. I know most of the time, 95, if not a higher percent of my deer activity on camera is going to be nocturnal as far as big bucks. Mm-hmm. And so I've got to try to get in there and figure out where they're, where they're staying, where they're living and cut them off prior to getting out there just after dark. That's what I try to do. Well, I think that's a pretty pretty safe and easy way to approach the late season just kind of without getting into super deep details like i know there's different ways that people can get into it um in fact i've done a podcast on that so different ways to do it but what i wanted to talk to you about is next season you know essentially you know you're talking about your season ends february some people they're either winding down january is their time like for me i think texas here we're done the first week full weekend of january so once your season is done you've tagged out you maybe didn't tag out what is the approach that you start to take once the season is over when you're looking at the next when you're looking at next fall like 24 is here you get your target buck and what is heath doing to get prepped for for the next fall yes so so there is twofold for me. One, it's, it's, it's a, there's an approach I have probably, and it, and it changes. I'm always trying different things, you know, but there's an approach I have on my own farm. And then if, if, if I, if I haven't hunted places I want to hunt in the Midwest, I'm immediately trying to find, I'm trying to now even for next year, mm-hmm. find new lease ground, you know, or um, whatever. We're always looking for new ground if we can find it and, yeah. and try to lease it or find as far as mid, Midwestern ground goes. 
um, on my own farm, I'm obviously, I'm going to shed hunt a little shed hunting where we're at because there's so many acres and we don't own all these acres. When I reference these millions of acres, there's just a lot of landowners around us that, that there's just a lot of timber. Um, and so you don't find, it's not like going to Kansas and finding 45 sheds in the afternoon. You yeah. know, it's, it's just not that way here because you can't cover that much ground and terrain where we're at, um, in that short amount of time. And so I will shed hunt some though. I will go so that the area I was, I've been referencing on this podcast where I've been hunting in, in that timber, other than the end of season, I don't step foot in that ground yeah. until the following, the following fall when the pressure's right. I mm-hmm. almost call it like a sanctuary. I completely stay out of it. Um, just because I want deer to feel safe in there and they do, you can get in there and find trails all over yeah. this ground where they're living. Um, and I don't want any human activity in there if at all possible. Um, the majority of the year. Mm-hmm. And even when I'm, even when I'm hunting it, I'm very selective about how I approach it, getting from a, getting in and getting out. Um, and so um, that is, that's part of a scouting tactic that goes on year round for me. One is staying out of areas I don't need to be in other than that one or two passes I'll take through it at the end of season, seeing where major, major rub lines are or, or, or sheds are left or whatever on, on the on southeast sides of some of these mountains or whatever. Um, but I immediately start looking at what I'm going to do from a food plot standpoint um, from in the spring. And so I plant spring and fall plots every year. I obviously am watching my game cameras to see what leftover inventory or whatever yeah. has survived through the year. I mean, that's pretty common sense if you run cameras. I kind of, I'm kind of, a, I don't know, man. I, I, I've used cameras for a while, obviously, um, and I love them, but I've used them less this year than I, I probably ever have. Really? And, well, I, it's, it's twofold. One, when all my deer disappeared about mid, when I, at the end of October, when all the acorns started falling, so I, I assumed what had happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, just, I just didn't replace batteries as quick as I normally have in the past. And I'm going to be honest with you, man, it's, it's almost made for better hunts. Like, like, it almost goes back the way the way I was raised where that stuff didn't even exist. And you didn't, and you didn't know yes. what was out there, you know, yes. now I've got an idea of what's out there, but in the rut, I don't really like my, my target book could be three miles away, but I always have new deer too showing up. And so, yeah, I'm after one specific deer on my farm, but that doesn't mean if another in where I live, if another 140 walks through, that's a, a stranger just passing through for the rut and I can get mm-hmm. a shot at him on camera. I'm going to, you know, but it's, it's kind of been different for me this year just because of that, because I've relied so heavily on cameras. Um, and I've also found out by running a lot of cameras and then also spending a lot of time in the field, cameras are only half the story too. I can't tell yeah. you how many guys I know that base their entire hunt off what the camera's showing them. And I've literally personally sit in the tree and watch deer skirt cameras multiple times. It happens. And so, yeah, oh, absolutely. They'll, they don't always just walk right in front of your camera. And so um the day the day i referenced earlier when i went out there and one first day i saw 31 second day i saw 44 in a spot i couldn't see 50 yards i had zero pictures on cameras at that time when all them makers started falling out of the trees i didn't even have those on camera and i was like they gotta be they gotta be in there in the maker flats you know and so sure enough they were and so guess where he's been spending most of his time the last few hunts in the acorn flats <laughs> it was right right in there with them you know and and they're coming and going every different direction in there and so when, when i think obviously so i look at inventory what I, I do run cameras still and they will come back to feed or whatever if you're using supplemental feed or whatever or if you just got them on trails 
on food plots coming or trails coming to food plots they're going to come back to feed at some point and so you can at least get an idea of what survived you know mm-hmm. and what's made it through the year and that's that's obviously depending on too how many acres you got and all that if you're trying to hold deer on 15 acres <laughs> you know good luck and not that you can't but i'm in the same boat like i don't have a huge farm i've, I've only got an 80 acre farm but I'm surrounded by thousands and thousands of thousands of farmers and big landowners that don't really hunt a whole lot. So it's like I do, you know, mm-hmm. to a certain extent, with the exception of crossing boundaries and hunting their property, I'm still hunting the same deer, you know? Yeah. And so um, that's what I do though. Look at, look at leftover inventory. And then I'm immediately thinking about what am I doing for food plots this year, trying different things. I'm always, it's kind of like just a little white tail uh, Disney world out there for me just to play and try different things for deer every year, you know, and, I like to get creative with my thought process for, so last year, thinking about scouting for the next year, because I'm always trying to figure out what I'm doing different in the middle of my property where I mentioned the Valley that's, it's got, I've got basically three fields in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever seen my food plot pictures? I've seen some of them on socials. Yeah. The, the aerials. Yeah. So like last year I tried, I'm always, because I've got those wide open fields and every year I, I find myself having trouble slipping in to get into parts of the property. I had to, I had to refigure how I was going to enter and exit the property. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't, there's only so many different ways I could go. So what I did was started planting a lot of um, conceal and some screening products and basically made ma- mazes out there on, on my property to where I could always slip in and out and get all the way across my property. As long as the wind's right without a deer ever knowing I, I entered the picture. And so if you, if you look at some of those aerials on, on social media, you can look at some of what I did this year. It's kind of, my people think I get way too creative out there, but I'm like, it's like redneck art, you know, you just, it is. You visualize it, visualize it. And then I've got, but it also, when those deer, instead of them standing in a wide open field, it's, you know, 40 acres or something, they get inside these little, little baseless maze and they feel a lot safer in there when they're in there browsing on greens or whatever you planted, you know? You know, it's it's funny you're bringing this up because I've kind of been thinking the same thing about uh, the property we hunt on in Texas is I've got two fields, one's nine acres and one's seven acres. But the problem with our property is uh, the front side is highway frontage. And these fields, we've always typically planted oats in the past, a lot of times mm-hmm. so we can bale it for the cows and whatnot. And I started thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I wonder if I could get beans to grow down here. And number two, I want to put some of that cover up that basically borders the fence of how these fields are fenced in so it keeps the cattle off, but put some of this, plant some of this cover that you're talking about, like basically making it a maze amongst that. So A, they can't be seen from the highway and they feel safe inside of this because then they have trees all the way around them. It's like, man, I might have myself a good little kill box there next year if I could do this. Yeah. It's a game changer, man. I started uh, three years ago doing that. And, and I, the first reason I started it was for what you're saying. I've got a county road that runs next to my property. It's an old dirt road, but it literally keeps people from, and we got plenty of rednecks that ain't scared to sling a bullet. Oh, I know. Yeah. Across lines, you know. And so, but it keeps you from visually being able to see into the property mm-hmm. um, when you're driving down the road. But the, the main reason was so I could enter access some of my spots a lot easier without getting busted and it has been a game changer man um and, and there's lots of different things out there to do it i mean you can i've used conceal from whitetail institute for a long time but this last year i actually went to co-op and just bought um sorghum and i mixed it with egyptian wheat and i, I plant mine in 
probably 15 foot wide. It's about how wide I go. Yeah. And then that stuff grows, man, to 12, 15 foot, depending on your, depending on your, your soil. And it's been, it's been incredible. I ain't a lot the the stuff I planted from the co-op year performed incredible. And it's like 40 something dollars for a 50 pound bag. And so it's just a little, that ain't no advertisement. That's a real deal. (laughs) No, that's, that is, that's a real deal, man. It's like, yeah, sorghum and Egyptian wheat, man. It's incredible. Just you can get, I know guys in Texas that just use straight hay grazer, you know, and it does really well. And, and, and you don't have to have a ton of it, man, depending on where, how much ground you've got to cover. But if you're doing it in 12, 15 foot strips, you know, 50 pound bag will go a long way. You can overseed it if you want to, but you don't have to. I'm bad about overseeding mine. I like it thick. Same. I was going to say, I, I do the same thing. Like when I'd plant those oats, man, I would go thick, dude. Oh, probably a little too thick, but I mean, hey, the deer and axis yeah. loved it when I did it, and I haven't done it for about two years now. And so I'm like, man, it's you You can tell, though, because I don't have the deer numbers that I did, but it seems like the quality of our deer has gone up. I don't know. I don't know if there's something that it's done with that, but. Um, That's cool. Yeah, man. I mean, these, this is all really good information. I mean, is there any other thing that you kind of look at outside of taking inventory with cameras, looking at some of those spring plots, staying out of areas? Are there any other kind of tips, tactics you've got when it comes to this time of year for the listeners? I don't know, man. I think I've, I think I've mentioned it as far as everything that I do. I, I try not to, and I'm bad about overthinking it. It's, it's easy to do when you've got your own ground. Yes. Um, but I am, if I had a tip, it's like, always be thinking ahead, you know, like, like always be keeping a Rolodex of what's going on year to year in your mind. Sometimes I'll even make notes of what happened on this date in this stand, you know, or when the pressure was like this, or when it was just a hair low, you know, just, just always making mental notes, but then thinking ahead like that, that's, what's led me to all this, this sorghum and gypsum wheat and, and planting all this screening was thinking ahead while I'm in the tree and getting busted walking in. Like there's got to be a better way next year to do this, you know. Well, that starts in the spring. Oh yeah. Whenever you're ready to plan, sketch it out. I mean, we've got obviously we've got apps now, but draw that stuff out how you want it to look, and then it's it's like it's like building a house, man. You get you can lay your own blueprint out, and then literally use your app and go out there and do it and walk it and stake it off. If you're like me and OCD about it, I mean, you can put flags in the ground and, and when you break the tractor out, yeah. make it perfect if you want it. I literally want mine to look like a golf course. My, my food <laughs> plots look better than my house and my yard. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Yes, <laughs> but, but I work hard at it, but I just love being out there. You know, that's part yeah. of it. But, and so, um, that's what I would say, man. I think, I think a lot of this stuff is, is not rocket science, but, but, when you're thinking ahead, like, because if like in, in that situation, I was just mentioning, if I, if I was in the woods and didn't plan ahead for the fall, you can't just make all that screening just pop up overnight. It mm-hmm. takes planning and, and figuring it out, you know, and then give it time to do its thing and then pray mother nature provides the right water source you need. That's True a lot that. of it. True that. Um, but, but just always be thinking ahead, man, of what you're going to do and how you can be better next year. Um, it's all, it's all, this is a sport and it's kind of like a game, you know, and and every great team is always trying to get better you know individually every year and uh, that's how i look at my hunting man i'm i'm no i'm no genius i've been very fortunate to to harvest a lot of animals but i've 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 paved the way or i haven't paved the way i've had guys paved the way for me and i've hunted around guys a lot smarter than me Mm -hmm. Uh, and and i've learned from them and just always you know taking notes of, of 
what tactics work here. And it's sometimes different in different parts of the country, you know, like my approach in Kansas or we just got back from Ohio is not my same approach always that I have in Arkansas. No, because I got five, I got five days to get it done. And so I'm probably going to be really aggressive when I go there, you know, where I might not be quite as aggressive down here. Um, when I, when I go out of state like that, um, especially if you're hunting new ground and, and it's, it's, that's part of the challenge too. It's like, it's like, we've got, we, we haven't hunted a lot of outfitters over the last 17 years. I've got a couple, but when we do hunt those places, they let us treat it like it's our own. They're good friends of ours. That's good. And so, and so we like to go in, look at ground, hang our own sets and and try to make our own it's just part of it not that we couldn't go sit in one of their stands and, and probably kill a better deer faster most likely but it's part of that challenge you know it's not all about the kill obviously it's part of that is is what do you get out of the hunt and there's just so much more like i just got back from ohio we were there five days we hunted a brand new piece of property that the guy that owned the ground didn't he had never even hunted and it was a flat and he showed us a few different properties but the one we ended up hunting was it's, it's a steep mountain why in the world I go to Southern Ohio and hunt mountains when I hunt mountains here? I, I have no idea, but I did. <laughs> but man, we looked at this. We looked at this property, and I found all kinds of sign and, and bedding and rubs up on top of this flat on top of this mountain. There's a big saddle that run off the backside of it, connecting to another mountain. And I was like, man, this is our spot. We can. So we pulled up the apps, looked at the weather for the next three or four days, hung our sets based on northwest winds, and, and we killed in there in three days on yeah. ground we'd never been on. And so there's just something rewarding about that. It was, it was, and it was my son. Yeah. Was so I was, him, and so I was all shook up. I get what I mentioned to you before we recorded. Like I get shook, man, when I'm filming my kids way worse than I do if I'm hunting myself. It's because you want it for them so bad, you know? And, uh, but that for me personally, and that's just changed to that probably in the last three or four years, we were able to do that in, in Kansas multiple times, roll in in three or four days, get it done. If you want, when we go the right time of year, obviously, but going in and be able to figure out a spot, or think you figure, don't always, but 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 a lot of times we've been able to figure that out pretty quick. Yeah, and and come home with a with a harvest out of there. And there's just something rewarding about pulling that off. You know, it's a challenge. It's an internal struggle because uh, you want it to happen so bad, but you want to do it yourself and figure it out. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what hunting is. Is it's not like the kill is. I have more fun. I don't know. I shouldn't say more fun. I have a lot of fun prepping my ground for fall. I spent a lot of time out there prepping. Yeah, I could say almost as much enjoyment out of that as I do hunting. Honestly, I don't know. I still like squeezing the trigger a lot. Oh yeah, but but I'm okay if I don't too. You know, because mm-hmm. I have put in the time. I'm trying to do it the right way. But then whenever you start thinking about hunting out of state and figuring out deer and what they're doing fast and figuring out where that pink, like what is the tree? I had a guy ask me yesterday. He goes, "How do y'all figure out the tree that fast?" And I'm like, Dude, "There's a lot of luck involved. We're not genius." <laughs> But we do look at the sign and the pattern and the wind for the next few days and, and try to figure out. And it's funny, too, like, like you know, whenever you when you hunt, I've got a, a good buddy of mine, Brandon. We've been partners with Strutton Books on our TV side for, for years. And, and he's a genius hunter. Like, he's one of the smartest hunters I know when it comes to figuring deer out. So I've learned a lot from him. But now that we've hunted together so long, we can be walking through the woods. And it happens more times than not mm-hmm. when we see the tree the tree you know we'll look at each other and just shake our head and you just know you know and that comes from just hunting like like it's like you know two basketball players that have played oh, yeah. together for, they just know each other 
and we've kind of gotten to that point in our, our hunting relationship, I guess. But it's kind of fun whenever you do find the tree and then pull it off. It don't always happen, obviously. It doesn't yeah. always happen that way. But when it does, man, there's just something rewarding about that. You know, oh, you know, yeah. figuring it out, pulling it off, coming home with a with a, a nice deer. It don't even got to be a nice deer. But typically, if you go to miss, we're not squeezing off on just anything. You know, we'd rather go home empty-handed than just kill anything. And that that's only comes from just hunting for a lot of years. You know, everybody has a different idea of what their 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 target deer looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's nothing wrong with so if 120 inch deer is what you want to kill, then that's your go get it. You know, it's your trophy. That's your trophy, man. If that's what you want, go get it. And so, um, and and I was like that for a long time. There's nothing wrong with that. I still, matter of fact, the deer my son killed in Ohio um, last week, at least at the time of this recording, um, was not going to shoot that deer. And I was like, dude, that's the biggest deer you've ever killed with your bow. Like, why would you not shoot that deer? And he's like, I don't know. I just, there's probably bigger deer. I'm like, there are bigger deer here, but we're here five days, bud. <laughs> this ain't back home. This ain't back home, man. Yeah, so he smoked it and he was excited and he's like, you awesome. wouldn't have shot that deer. I'm like, dude, you dang right, I shot that deer because he's a nice deer. Oh heck yeah! And uh, and and when you and you got to weigh everything out, you know, when you're there five days or six, whatever you can pull off and be away yeah. from home, you bought tags, you got a lot invested in getting out to a place, then then you got to make that decision, you know. And yeah. so it's a lot of fun, man. It is, man. It is, and we love this game. Well, dude. I know we're about out of time here, so tell the listeners real quick where they can find, you know, Strut and Buck, Chess Fight, any of the stuff that y'all got that's coming out this year. Yeah, yeah. So so um, on social media, I'm on Instagram at, at J Heath Graham, J for Justin. My mom that makes me go by my middle name for whatever reason, <laughs> so my, my name's actually Justin Heath. But uh, J Heath Graham on, on all the social media platforms, and then at Strut and Bucks is our television side. We've been doing that a long time, having a lot of fun. And then at Official Chess Fight is our firm. Okay. And uh, – you can see a lot of great, when we have time to post it, there's a lot of great content you can see over there and see a lot of clients we get the pleasure of working with. So yeah. that's where you can find us. Well, man, I really appreciate your time and giving listeners some of that late season and postseason tips and tactics on getting prepped for the next year. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me on. It's been a blast. Oh, yeah, dude. We're going to have to get you back on here, and we're going to have to do the casting blast soon. Absolutely. This spring, baby. Let's do it. Well, let's make it happen. All right, buddy. Appreciate you. All right, y'all, there you go. Hopefully you were able to pick up on something that Heath talked about today in regards to this time of year. If you're still deer hunting, listen to what the man had to say. And if you're already looking at and trying to strategize for the fall or just trying to decipher what your deer are doing or figuring things out, listen to what the man had to say in today's podcast. Thanks again, y'all, for tuning in this week's episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast, and we'll see you on the next one.